So last summer, sometime in mid-July, I read a book that scared the fire out of me. It's a book that many of you have heard of before. It's, it's a book that probably many of you have read before, uh, but it probably didn't scare you the way it scared me. It's, it's the book of Amos. I read it at our lead team fasting retreat last summer as we were reading through that particular book of the Bible, and, and it scared the fire out of me. Now, it, it didn't scare me because of the content like of the book itself. It scared me because I just had this kind of sneaky suspicion that the Holy Spirit was going to call me to preach this book and I didn't want to do it. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did. Called me to preach this book and the thought of preaching the book of Amos scared the fire out of me. Now there may be some of you going, what in the world, why would you be scared of preaching a book of the Bible? Aren't you a preacher? I mean, in the Bible, your book? Yeah, if you feel that way, that tells me Either A, you've never read the book of Amos, or B, when you read it, you were snoring through it. Because if you've ever read the book of Amos and tried to understand it, then you know why I'm so scared to try to preach it. It is a book that is incredibly difficult to understand. In fact, I would wager that the vast majority of you watching this right now have never even heard a message preached from the book of Amos. I can almost guarantee that none of you have never heard a sermon series preached chapter by chapter, verse by verse of the book of Amos, because it is such a crazy book but that's exactly what I believe the Lord has called us to do today, to begin a journey for the rest of the summer, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Amos and seeing the truth it has for us. Now, now one of the reasons why we stray away from the book of Amos as preachers is, is for two reasons. One, because it's incredibly difficult to understand. It doesn't matter that I have a seminary education, that I love God's word, that I study it, the original language, like none of that matters because it's hard for me to understand the book of Amos with all of my training and schooling. So it's hard to understand. And two, even when we do understand it, it just seems so foreign so out there that it's hard to apply to our modern life. I mean, it talks about names we've never heard of and places we're not familiar with and laws we've never even considered before. And so we read this book and we're just utterly confused by it. In fact, I, I would venture to say, if you're one of the people who's done a read through the Bible plan, it's somewhere around the book like Amos where you begin to fall off, where you begin to read like the same verse over and over again and can't figure it out. And so many of us in that season, you know what we do? We skip right over to the New Testament. I, I know you've done it before because it's just really easy to get lost in these books, especially these minor prophets. And Amos is one of the minor prophets to which you're going, when the world's a minor prophet? Well, there were major prophets and minor prophets. It only has to do with the length of the book. So the big fat books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, those are the major prophets. The smaller books like Amos and Hosea and Malachi and Zephaniah, those, those smaller ones are the minor prophets. And they're all incredibly confusing. And so we, we dismiss them. But, but I want to teach you today from God's word that there is remarkable truth to be found in a book like Amos. In fact, as I was studying it, what, what I learned is that the circumstances of Amos were far more similar to our circumstances today than we probably realize. We just got to understand the context. And, and so we're going to jump into the context right where it begins in the very first chapter, chapter one of the book of Amos. Now, I want you to do me a favor. I know that about 99% of you have no clue where the book of Amos is. So I'm going to teach you what to do when you don't know where it is. If you have a physical Bible, I want you to open it up and I want you to flip to what's called the table of contents. Almost every single one of your Bibles has a content section in the back, in the front. And I want you to look, I want you to go to the Old Testament, start looking through, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, keep going all the way down, skip over to the next one. You start to get the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, keep going and then you'll find Amos. And then you go over and see, mine is on page 597. So you'll have a different page number, but look at Amos, where does it go? And then open to that particular book of the Bible and you'll find, here's 
Ta-da, book of Amos, 597. Here's, here's where it is. And what I want you to do is I want you to do that, find the book of Amos, and then I want you to mark it. Put like a, a, a piece of tape on it, a little bookmark in there or something. Keep Amos, because for the entire summer, we are gonna work our way slowly and meticulously through the book of Amos. And my hope is that by the end of the summer, that you have an understanding of the book of Amos, that it's no longer weirds you out to read it. Now you come to it and it just drips with wisdom and truth for your life. So in order to do that, we got to understand the history. So let's start in verse one of chapter one, because that verse alone is just oozing with history. Here's what it says. It says, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. All right, so there was a ton of history packed in there, but remember, there's a whole bunch of names and things I was warning you about, really hard to understand. So first of all, let me admit, I don't have a clue what he's talking about when he says before, two years before the earthquake, and no scholar I know does. So I'm just gonna throw that out. I don't have a clue what he's talking about. But I do know a lot about Amos. It says that the words of Amos. So Amos is the one who's prophesying in this book. Now, what you need to know about Amos is he was not your ordinary prophet. Now, in, in the time that Amos was around, there was a professional guild of prophets. These were people who were trained kind of like pastors today. Ministers go to seminary and they might get professional jobs being ministers or teachers or preachers or whatever, you know, the kind of the professional group, like they're, they're supposed to be trained to do that. Well, they, they had those back in, in these days where they were professional trained prophets who would travel around and that was their job. And Amos was not one of these people. It says that he was a shepherd from Tekoa. Now, it actually, if you were to skip over to chapter 7, verse 14, we get a little bit more detail about this guy, Amos. Listen to what it says. It says, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. So when he says, I, I wasn't a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, those are talking about the fact that normally in that day, you were a prophet. If your dad was a prophet, your son would be a prophet. It's kind of like the family business. And he says, I was not that. In fact, I was just a herdsman and a, a dresser of sycamore figs. In other words, I was about as ordinary as they come. Amos is saying, I'm just a country boy. I'm not a professional prophet. I don't get paid to do this thing. He was from a rural area of Tekoa, which is in the nation of Judah. And he was sent to bear a message, though he wasn't a normal prophet. He was called to go before some of the most powerful people in his history. He was going to the nation of Israel. Now, I know there are a lot of you, and when I talk about Judah and Israel, you're going like, I don't even know where you're coming from. So let me give you a little history lesson. Many of you know King David. So King David was one of the first major kings to bring the kingdom together, all 12 tribes of Israel into one kingdom. His son Solomon expanded it even more. It was kind of the heyday, the golden era of the nation of Israel. But his son Rehoboam split the nation in two. And, <coughs> excuse me, 10 tribes went up to the north to form the nation of Israel and the two tribes stayed in the south to form the nation of Judah. Now the holy city, Jerusalem, was down south in the nation of Judah. And these were the people who were believed to have kept the pure worship. They had the, the Davidic line, the line of David, who were the kings. But the 10 tribes to the north, they had to create a new place to worship. So they built a different temple, different holy city, different line of kings. And that was the nation of Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Now Amos was from the south, from Judah, and he went up to the, the nation of Israel to prophesy to them. Now here's what's interesting. When you understand the context of who he's prophesying to, you begin to realize just how similar the contexts are. 
because Israel, at the time that Amos goes up to them, is at a time of incredible prosperity and peace. It was a really unusual season. If you know anything about the history of the nation of Israel, they had a whole lot of ups and downs. Times when, when they were expanding, like under David and Solomon, and then times when they were just plagued and oppressed by the Philistines, by Damascus, by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Egyptians. So they had these ups and downs constantly. Well, in this season, when Amos goes up to the nation of Israel, this is one of the sliver moments when they have incredible peace and prosperity. The Syrians are no longer attacking them from Damascus and the Assyrians, it's before they come to attack them. They're not strong quite yet. And so they're in this time of safety. They're, they're in a time when they have freedom and power and affluence. And, and it's, it's a great expansive moment. The armies are strong. Money is everywhere. And they're living in the lap of luxury and self-indulgence. And if I were being honest with you, it sounds a whole lot like the world we live in today in the United States of America. That You may not realize this, those of you who are watching this in the U.S., but we are living in an unprecedented time in American history of affluence, of prosperity, of, of luxury. It doesn't look like it because it's kind of the air we breathe. We don't even see it. But let me tell you, it's unprecedented for us. Let me just talk about how much the average income has changed over just the last 50 years. So if you were to go back to 1968, the average household income was about $8,000. Now you fast forward 52 years to the year 2020, the average household income, it was 8,000 back then, it is now $98,000. Just 52 years later, average income in the United States of America. That's over a 12-fold increase in just a little over 50 years. That's crazy. To which some of you are going, well, well Jason, you're, you're comparing apples and oranges. You're not, you're not talking about inflation. Your money doesn't go as far today as it did back then. Well, you're right, absolutely. But even if you quantify inflation as a rate in that, it still increases about $36,000 over what it was. In other words, it's over 50% more average income considering inflation that people have today than they did just 50 years ago. We have money everywhere like we've never had before. We have more space than we've ever had before. I was looking at 100 years ago, the homes were almost half the size, even though more people lived in them. Average home was somewhere between 1,200 to 1,400, even though there was a person or two per average living in that home than there is today. So we're smaller families, and the average home today is closer to 24 to 2,600. In other words, almost twice as big of a home with less people living in them. We have so much luxury, so much privilege. There are so many TVs per family today compared to back then that you can't even imagine the difference in it. There are more cars per home today than there was back then. There are more toys per child than there was back then. We have more technology than we know what to do. We are living today in the lap of luxury with so many conveniences at our fingertips. We just tell Siri what to do and she does it. Alexa, grab me this, and it happens. I mean, we are living in this crazy season where we have all that we want. But listen, this season we're in isn't unprecedented to human history. Israel, at the time that Amos goes to them, was living in this kind of season as well, in the lap of luxury. And it was to that context that Amos is sent by God to deliver a message. And I believe because our circumstances are so different, he has a message to preach to us today as well. But let me go ahead and forewarn you. It wasn't a pleasant message. And it's not likely going to be a pleasant message for us to receive today as we hear what Amos has to say. But let's listen to his message to the nation of Israel. Beginning in verse 2, you see the tenor of what he has to say. It says, And he said, 
The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. All right, so, so here's what he's saying. He said, the Lord roars from Zion. That word roar was referring to the roar of a lion on the attack. This was not the purr of a kitten. This was a dangerous animal that was about to consume somebody else. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm like hanging out at home and I hear a roar of a big old lion, I'm scared. We're going to be scared. And that's what he's saying. He's saying when the, when the mighty God roars, you wither up in fear. And then it says the next one, and utters his voice from Jerusalem. Now, th this is where the ESV, I think, doesn't capture the magnitude of what that phrase utters his voice means. Literally in Hebrew, it is he gives his sound. And, and it was used almost always of a thunder crash, a boom of lightning. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been outside before when there's been a, a, a clap of lightning that was real close to you, but it can be deafening. Just a little less than two weeks ago, I was out at a gas station filling my truck up with gas and a storm had come in on a Monday morning. You might remember it from a couple of weeks ago. And it was just intense. I mean, it was a lightning storm. Lightning was crashing or lighting up, every, thunder crashing everywhere. Well, and I could see it all over the distance, these lightning flashes. I could hear the rumblings all over the place. But as I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm putting gas into my truck and it's going so slow, you know, of course I drive up right when the tanker's there, you know, and everything's taking like 45 minutes to fill up my, my gas tank. I'm sitting there filling it up and all of a sudden I see a flash of light that looks like heaven itself has come down and I can't see anything. And then just a little bit later, I hear a clap of thunder that is so loud, I cover my ears because it literally hurt my, just boom! I was like, oh, oh! And I, I mean, I had to change my underwear. That sucker was so loud. I was scared. Car alarms are going off all over the place. I was terrified. That's what it sounds like when Yahweh utters his sound, his voice. It's not a little, little off in the distance. It is a boom when God speaks. So, so here's what Amos is saying. Amos is saying that the Lord is coming with this menacing thunderclap, with this, this roar that scares us to death. In other words, he's saying, Israel, buckle up, buttercup, because God has a message for you. He is ticked and you need to get ready for what he's about to say. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, as a preacher, that's not the best message to deliver to somebody else. God is ticked with you, so you better buckle up because he's coming against you. This isn't a message that Amos wanted to deliver. And Amos, though he was just a shepherd, just a herdsman, he was a smart man and he knew he couldn't just walk up to Israel and go, pa, 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 pa. He knew he was going to have to help them understand the message God had. And so he actually had this amazing tactic. He helped them understand God's righteousness and overcoming sin by seeing it in everyone else around them. And so he begins this motion of helping them look at the sin of the nations. And he does it in these trios. So he talks about three nations and, and, and tells about their sin and three more nations and in a way to help them grasp God's righteousness. So we're going to see the message he has as we keep on going in verse 3. And we're going to read verses 3 through 10 and look at the first trio of nations that, he's going to, that are going to fall under the condemnation of God. Verse 3 says this. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with the threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Haziel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants of the valley of Avon. And him who holds a scepter from Beth Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to curse, says the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment for they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre and it shall devour her strongholds. Okay, now stop there. Now I know exactly what happened right there when you were listening to me. You, your mind just went, <laughs> you didn't have a clue what I was talking about as I was reading that passage of scripture. Because all you started hearing names like Haziel and Ben-Hadad and a valley of Avon, you're going, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Three transgressions for four. You don't, you don't know what's going on over here. And so your mind just gets lost and you can't even track along with me. Listen, if that happened to you, don't worry. It happened to 99.9% of the other people. It happened to me when I'm reading this and I already know what I'm supposed to say. This is a complicated passage to work its way through, but it's actually, as I studied this, what I realized is that it's a lot more simple than we, might, than we might first see when we read through it because we just hear all these names and we get lost. But, but like I said, there's a form and a structure to what Amos is doing here. They all start off the same way. In verse three, he talks about for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. In verse six, and for three transgressions of, uh, for, of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Verse nine, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. So it's the same structure over and over and again. Now, now you're going, well, but Jason, I don't know what he means by and for three transgressions and for four. Like, what, what is he talking about? Well, this is actually a Hebrew literary tool in order to express basically like infinite plus one. I, if you're a parent, I don't know if you've ever had the moment, but, but I have it all the time. Where you're, you're sitting by the bedside of your child and you go, I, I love you to the moon and back. And they go, I love you to the moon and back 10 times. And you go, I love you to the moon and back a million times. And they say, well, I love you to the moon and back a million times plus one. And you go, I love you to the moon and back infinity times. And your little child so smart says, well, I love you to the moon and back infinity times plus one. And you go, oh, I can't get you. You got me beat. That that plus one just means like all there could be and more. Well, that's actually exactly what's going on in Hebrew. The number three in Hebrew was, was the number of completeness. So when you say for three transgressions and for four, you're saying, to infinity plus one. Like all the sins, they are mounted up. The cup is full and overflowing. That's why he won't revoke the punishment. And so he talks about this list of sins that each one has. But I don't want you to pay attention so much to the list of sins. I want you to pay attention to the names of the nations that are mentioned because those are really important. Verse three, it was Damascus. Verse six, it was Gaza. Verse nine, it was Tyre. You may not be familiar with these nations, but these nations were the long-standing enemy nations of the nation of Israel. Damascus up top, that was Syria. They were the people who had been attacking Israel for so long. Gaza, that's where the Philistines were, the people who fought against the nation of Israel as they were coming into the promised land. You have Tyre, they were the ones who were by the seaside and they were constantly keeping the nation of Israel from having the port city and gaining the wealth that that would bring to it from the Mediterranean Sea. So these were the ancient enemies of the nation of Israel. And can you imagine how happy they would have felt to hear about the condemnation coming upon these enemies? Whenever Amos says, Damascus is going to come on down because God is going to fight against them. Tyre, that nation that you hate, they're going to come on down because God's going to fight against them. Gaza and those Philistines, they're going to fall. By this point now, the, the nation of Israel is going to preach it, Amos. 
preach it, preach it, brother. Bring that word, Amos. They're loving what he's saying. And just when they think Amos can't get any better, brother, he steps it up. And he mentions three more nations. Let's keep on reading. See what he says next. Verse 11. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he keeps his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Teman and it shall devour the strongholds of, of Basra. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned alive the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth, and Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst, and will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. So same form, three transgressions and for four, but he mentions three new nations, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. Again, most of you are going, I don't, I don't know who those are. Well, these are three enemy nations, but this time they're not foreign enemy nations. These are blood relatives to the nation of Israel. You just got to understand your history. So if you go back in the history books, there was Father Abraham. He was the one who got the original covenant. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a pair of twins, one named Jacob and one named Esau. Now, Jacob had his name changed to Israel by God. That became the nation of Israel. Edom, or excuse me, Esau had his name changed over to Edom and that became the Edomites. And so you had Isaac's sons, Israel and Edom. And if you know the history through the book of Genesis, we preached through that book not too long ago, Edom or, or Esau tried to kill Jacob, hated Jacob. And their two nations had been at animosity since then. And so here you have a blood relative of the nation of Israel and they keep attacking and fighting them. And so Israel hates the Edomites because they view them as traitors. Same thing for Ammon and for Moab. Now these two are actually the sons of Abraham's nephew, Lot. So Abraham had a nephew named Lot. Lot had two, two children, Ammon uh, and, and Moab. And these guys were blood relatives, again, of Abraham and the covenant and the nation of Israel. And they stand against the nation of Israel. So Israel has been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They finally get set free through Moses and they go into the promised land. They're wandering around. Actually, they go to the wilderness. They're wandering around the wilderness and they're on their way up to the promised land. And while they're on their way up, there are two nations that stand in the way, Ammon and Moab, the Ammonites and the Moabites. And they ask for safe passage through them, remembering their relative uh, brotherhood, their, their blood relatives. And they say, absolutely not. And they come to fight against them. And because of that, they see them as traitors. They betrayed the nation of Israel, their own blood relatives, to keep them out of the promised land. And ever since that moment, they have been in animosity, hated each other deeply. So can you imagine how the nation of Israel is feeling, hearing about this condemnation? Edom is finally going to get it. The Ammonites are finally going to get it. Moab is going to go down because God himself is going to stand against them. Man, this point now, they're hooping and hollering, woo, brother, amen, they're coming down. They're so excited to hear Amos. I mean, they, they are jumping up and down, excited at this message. And just when they think it can't get any better, Amos brings down the fire, man. He's about to say the thing they most wanted to hear, a condemnation against their little brother, Judah. Look over in verse four of chapter two. Thus says the Lord, 
For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. You got to understand, at this moment, they are beside themselves. They're so, because they're so grateful that Judah is finally getting their just rewards because Judah is the one who stole the whole city, the holy city of Jerusalem from them. Judah is the perfect little brother, the father's favorite. They're the ones who have the line of David. They have the holy temple. They have their pure little worship. They think they're so much better than Israel. And now Israel is getting to hear a message from a prophet from Judah coming up to them saying, Judah's about to get it. They think they're so pure, but they've rejected the law of God. They've lied and they've gone astray. And they're about to get the very judgment of the God they, they say they serve. And at this point, they're going, holy cow, praise Jesus. Yes, they're going to get it. You see, Israel. They are so angry and bitter and resentful from all these nations who come against them for all these years. And Amos is saying, they're all about to get it. Your God is going to fight against them. I mean, there wasn't any sweeter message they could hear because they were filled with rage and anger and bitterness against these people. Now, I want to stop for a moment. Here's where it's about to get real practical. I think there are some of you watching this right now and you are filled with bitterness and rage and anger and resentment because there are some people in your life who have harmed you and hurt you and betrayed you. Maybe, maybe it's an employer, a boss who just threw you under the bus when you didn't deserve it or, or a teacher or someone else who just did something to you that just hurt you deeply. Maybe it was a relative, a blood relative, someone who should have been there for you, but, but they stabbed you in the back. They abused you. They hurt you. Maybe it was a spouse who left you for someone else. Maybe it was a child who after you raised them, they turned their back on you. A parent who hurt you when they should have been caring for somebody hurt you deeply. And you're so angry. You're just longing them for, to get it, for them to get it because of what they did to you. And right now you have so much bitterness and it is gnawing away at your soul. You're just like the nation of Israel. They were just so angry at all these other places and they were so grateful that these other people were finally going to get it. And they didn't realize that this bitterness, this resentment, this anger was destroying them. And I want you to know, you may not realize that, but this bitterness, this anger, this resentment is destroying you too. And you need to hear what Amos is about to tell the nation of Israel. So here's the nation of Israel, so glad that all these other people are about to get their just desserts, about to fall down under the condemnation of God. And they're wanting God's justice. And what they don't realize is that if God's justice comes, they'll be condemned right along with them. And I want you to know, that's what you and I have to realize. We may want justice, God's vengeance upon those people, but what we don't realize is that if God's vengeance comes upon them, it's gonna come upon us too. We don't need justice. We need mercy and grace. And that's what he's about to teach the nation of Israel Right when they're, they're loving this guy, Amos Preacher, man, they're about to name him their new pastor. They love this guy. And right before they do that, Amos turns on him and he saves his longest condemnation for the nation of Israel itself. Look at what he says in verses 6 through 16. Man, I'm preaching right now. Dude. I, I got sweat pouring down. <laughs> Whew. All right, let's keep going. Verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment 
because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. And it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, you shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. You want to talk about some fire, brother, sister. Amos is bringing the fire, and he saved the fire for the nation of Israel. And what you discover is that this whole time, all he was doing was trying to help them see the righteousness of God to bring condemnation upon all these other nations so they would realize that God is righteous when he brings his judgment and condemnation upon Israel itself. Amos was working them up so they could see that, yeah, they may celebrate God's righteous condemnation, but they better watch out because that means they got to celebrate it when it comes upon them too. He was trying to help them see that God will punish unrighteousness. But the reason he was doing it is so they wouldn't maintain this bitterness and this pride and because they were powerful, because they were at peace, because their armies were strong, because they were affluent. Their pride blinded them to their own sin. And he wanted them to see their sin so they would no longer harbor that resentment for everybody else around them. And here's what I want to say to you. God wants to do the same thing to you. There are some of you watching this right now and what you don't realize is that you are enslaved by your bitterness and your resentment and your hurt and your anger toward that person against you. And while you're longing for their condemnation and their fall, it is gnawing you away and you are enslaved to it. And there is only one way of freedom, forgiveness. To say, I forgive you for what you've done to me. And there's only one pathway to forgiveness. It is recognizing the sin that is inside you. I guarantee it, when you recognize that you have sin inside you, it's a whole lot easier to forgive somebody else who sinned against you. When you recognize that unless Almighty God would forgive you unconditionally for your sin, you will not be able to forgive somebody else. But the moment you receive his forgiveness, then you can forgive others. And the more you forgive others, the more you recognize the majesty of his forgiveness of you. And I believe God wants to liberate some of you from that bitterness and that anger that is eating you away. So in a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm gonna give you an opportunity right where you are in your living room or wherever you're watching this to actually, if you're able to get down on your knees and to release that bitterness and that resentment and that anger. You may just need to name the person that's hurt you that you've been carrying this resentment for. You might need to humble yourself and say, God, I know that you've had to forgive me because I've sinned against you and I've sinned against other people. And I've been so angry at this person for sinning against me and now I realize that I deserve the same condemnation and punishment. So as you've forgiven me, God, I forgive them. 
before they ever get justice, before they ever get their condemnation, before they ever even ask for your forgiveness, for you just to release it and say, man, if they deserve condemnation, I deserve more. I forgive them. And you're going to find incredible healing. I pray that some of you would do it. But let me also say that is only possible by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe there are some of you who haven't yet come to that point to experience the forgiveness of your sins. And I think one of the chief reasons why is you haven't even recognized the magnitude of your sin. And that's where Amos can help us. What Amos does so masterfully in these two chapters is he reveals sin. And he does it by walking through the sins of all these other nations to show they're condemnable. And then to turn to Israel and to list their sins out there so they could see them, to know they deserve condemnation. And the reason he did it wasn't to condemn them. It was to call them back to the heart of God, to find forgiveness and healing in the very heart and chest of God himself. Here's what I love about the way God works. Our God is stronger than Amos the prophet. You see, Amos had to use a technique to get them to see their own sin. But, but our God doesn't need to use a technique. Our God does something different. He comes inside us through his Holy Spirit and reveals sin inside of us. I love what Jesus says about this. I, I, want, I want you to flip over to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. I want to read just two verses, verses seven and eight. I want you to see what the Holy Spirit can do inside you right now to prepare you to find healing and salvation. John chapter 16, verse seven says this, Jesus is talking. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, referring to the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Here's what Jesus was teaching us. He says, I'm gonna send my spirit. I'm gonna leave and it's gonna be good for you because when I leave, I can send my spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the spirit inside of you will convict you of your sin, will convict you of the righteousness of the Father. And that when you put your sin together with the righteousness of the Father, the only thing that can come is the third thing, judgment, condemnation. And he'll do it from the inside out. And so here, here's what Jesus is teaching He's teaching that I don't have to do what Amos did. I don't have to put your sins up on the screen right now and list them out for you. I don't have to do it because the Spirit is doing it inside you right now. This is why there are some of you, as you're watching this, you feel your sins coming up. You're aware of your addictions that are getting out of control, of your selfishness, of your anger problem, of your hate, of your resentment. You're aware right now of the way you've abused others and misused others and the wrong that you've done. You're aware of your greed. You're aware of your distortions of truth. The Spirit is bringing that to mind right now. And the reason why is he's trying to bring you to a place of conviction. But listen, don't get angry when these sins come to mind and to your heart. The Spirit is not against you. The Spirit is doing what Amos was doing. Remember, Amos was sent to Israel, not to condemn Israel, but to bring Israel back to the heart of God. And that's exactly why the Holy Spirit was sent to you. Not to condemn you, but to reveal your sin so that you'll come back to the Father for salvation. Remember, the Father, he didn't just send the Spirit to convict. He sent the Son to save. And we know what this word says. He sent Jesus to die on a cross, his own Son, his body and his blood to be given up so that you and I can be saved. And don't think for a second the Father would send his Son to do all that if he wouldn't send his Spirit, not just to convict us, but to save us. He's doing a work in you and you got, you got to stop fighting against him. 
And you got to open yourself up and say, oh God, save me from my sin. I see my sin now and I'm ready to come back to your heart. Here's what I believe. I don't normally do this, but I really, I really sense, as I was praying through this, I sense the Lord tell me to do this. I think there's some of you going, okay, I, I want to ask for forgiveness. I want to find healing. I, I want to trust in Christ for salvation, but what do I do? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Well, I, I want you to pray right now. So I'm going to ask you, it, it, no matter how many people are with you, just for, or if you're by yourself, just to bow your head for a moment. Just, just close your eyes and bow your head and be still. And, and if there are some of you right now and the Spirit is bringing conviction, just revealing to you your sins, and you're realizing that you need salvation, that you need forgiveness of your sins, you need healing in your heart, and you're ready to come back to the heart of God, then all you gotta do is tell him. You gotta pray. And, and, and I'm not gonna tell you the exact words to pray because there are no perfect magical words to pray, but I, I wanna tell you the things to be praying for, and I'm gonna give you a chance to do it. So if that's you and you're ready to find salvation in Christ, then I want you to talk to God. You, you can do it out loud, you can just, pray and inside. He can hear your thoughts. But I want you to, to admit to the Father, admit to God that you've sinned, that you rebelled. Just take a moment right now and tell him right now in this moment. And, and I want you to, to, after you've admitted that you're a sinner, to say, well, God, forgive me for my sins. I'm sorry. Just tell him that you're sorry and you need forgiveness. And then, and then tell him, tell the Father that you trust that Jesus and his death on the cross is enough and that you believe your sins can be forgiven. Just, just tell him that you trust in Jesus. And then just, just tell him that you're ready to give your life over to Jesus, that you're, you're ready to follow him and live for him the rest of your days because you know he's your only hope. Tell him in whatever words you need to. God, for every single person who's speaking to you right now, who's declared their sin and their need for forgiveness and their faith in forgiveness and their trust to give their life over to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would show them that you have saved them, that you have redeemed them and you have healed them. And as, as Amos spoke about a wrath that was coming, and we know there's a wrath coming upon those who've rejected you, I pray that you would assure them they are no longer gonna fall prey to that wrath because Jesus himself will cover them and lift them up and give them eternal life. God, give them hope in this moment and new life today. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Amen. Listen, if that's you, if you prayed that prayer, if you talked to God and said, I, I'm, I'm ready to follow you. I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. We want to know as, as your pastors because we want to minister to you and we want to help you on this new journey of faith. So do us a favor, reach out to us. You can just text the word next step to 94253, just like you see there on your screen and let us know so that we can correspond with you and reach out to you and connect with you. And we'll do so quickly because we want to help you take these next steps and grow in your faith. But let me also say, right now, we're, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment. It's going to be a reminder of why you can take this faith. Because the Father was willing to give up the body and the blood of his own son to save you. But I want to remind those of you that I mentioned earlier, who have bitterness and resentment and anger in your heart, 
I believe he's calling you to get down on your face, on your knees and lay that resentment and bitterness down. And I know there are some of you who go, but Jason, man, you don't know what they've done for me. It's going to be so hard to forgive them. I know forgiveness is costly. But after this song, we're going to celebrate the cost of the Father's forgiveness, the body and the blood of his own son. And the Father was willing to pay that high price to forgive us. And we should be willing to pay the high price to forgive others. So in light of the fact that we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want you to forgive. I want you to release that bitterness and that resentment and find healing today. And you worship the Lord. And when the song's over, I'll lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper.